0: Hey guys, I'm Alan Beek and welcome to Barber Soup, my unedited and unscripted thinking out loud podcast. I'm going to be sharing my personal experiences and discussing topics related to the hair industry and my journey so far. So sit back, relax, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Hello everyone, welcome back to Barber Soup. This is episode number seven and it's titled Don't Wait for Luck. Obviously as we go through the podcast you'll understand why I've titled it that as it's one of the main things I want to talk about later on in the podcast and something that I'm going to approach again in future episodes. Now, there's a little bit of plagiarism going on here because I did a a live with Modab magazine and Neil Toner on Wednesday. And the topic of that live was effective habits and how they help develop our health, professional and personal lives. Now this subject was a big part of this week's podcast so let's say that I've already discussed parts of this dialogue already this week so if you've watched that live session and you're hearing it again then I do apologize. In fact no I don't apologize actually because it's doing you a favor because repetition is the most effective way of remembering something so me reiterating these points are only reinforcing their importance. Hearing something over and over again will help cement it so you'll never forget it. That repetitive behavior brings on a process, what we like to call muscle memory. Actions like driving, cooking and cutting hair all can be done with ease if we do them long enough and are happy with the results. By gaining muscle memory through repetition, it begins to need less attention and can be done without conscious thought. So basically on autopilot. When you can perform something on autopilot and the results are good, then you've achieved it. You've done it. It's, then it's time to mix things up. Now doing something over and over again can become quite boring and it's monotonous and quite tedious. But what people don't realize is that when we get to that level, it means that, again, we've completed it. We almost have to work until it gets boring and welcome the tedium. A good example of this is sectioning. Any of my students start off with a block and their first lesson on a block is sectioning from the hair from directly from the front of the fringe all the way back through the crown to the nape of the neck. Effectively separating the hair down the middle from the front to the back and having a perfect line between the left and right side of the head. And I make them do this over and over again until it's absolutely perfect. Then I stress that we don't practice until we get something right. We practice until we never get it wrong. It's only then that when I can see the sheer boredom on their face do I tell them that we're about halfway there, which is quite demoralising, but there's always method in the madness. Sorry, we are getting a little bit of a sing-song there from my little girl. It's been a tough week this week to try and get this recorded, so I'm literally having to do it looking after my little girl. And she's singing, so it's going to be a little bit less boring with her voice in the background. So we repeat this process then through sectioning from the back to the front and then we want to do from each side. So from the top of the head to the ears on both sides, leaving a cross section and the hair separated or isolated into four sections, which would be the front left and right and the back left and right. Then we work through a one length and onto a uniform layer and it's repeated over and over and over again. Learning anything new warrants a mass amount of time and effort, whether it's in hair or not. But you must theoretically know what the action is, and then from understanding the process in your mind, transferring it then into your hands until it's all you know and you can't stop doing it. Remember the quote that I just said there. We don't practice until we get something right, we practice until we never get it wrong. So I'm gonna start the the podcast properly now and Here is the first question that I received last week uh, and it's a very interesting one and I'm going to leave quite a big proportion of the questions out as some of them were quite long winded and get straight to the main point of it. So as promised, the Q&A was starting with, how do you wake up every morning motivated? And the answer to that is very simple, I don't. Very rare do I get a full night's sleep, both my children are at very demanding ages, things like Teething and potty training, and loads of other reasons of why they'd be up in the night, bad dreams, needing to go to the toilet, anything, everything. It's like the, the sound of a pin drop and they wake up. So, anything between one and five times, I can be up, which usually means one of them wakes up in the morning between five and six, and that's it, I'm up and I'm tired. Now, that means I'm not full of beans and I'm not motivated, but it's up to me, it's my responsibility then to get me in that motivated and productive state. All we have to do is one task from waking up, one job. When we've done that first task that we are rewarded internally, it's human nature to crave things like reward, especially from ourselves. Our internal, or brain reward system is ignited the second that we finish that one task. So when we complete something, our brain reward system releases a small amount of dopamine, The same chemical that is released when we're happy, for example, or we become overjoyed with winning or having a baby or anything that just makes you feel elated. It's also the same thing uh, when we drink or do drugs, so I've heard anyway, and it creates a feeling of euphoria. When people are addicted to cocaine, it's not the physical drug that we're addicted to. It's just the delivery substance that releases the actual drug that people are addicted to, which is dopamine. But the most natural way is a, a lot more of a healthy dose and it just makes us feel good, so we want more. So by completing one task when we wake up, it will have a snowball effect on the rest of the day as we try to create as much euphoria as possible by being productive and doing as many jobs as we can. It's the same with me when I have job list. The, the feeling that you get from ticking each one off is amazing. There's a a really well-known speech online from a Navy SEAL admiral called William H. McRaven who said that you can change the world by simply making your bed. It's task number one of the day and you do it and it will enhance your entire day. It might only be a small job, but he also stresses that if you can't do the little things right, then you'll never get the big things right. So it's so important with day-to-day life It goes exactly the same with saying things, the saying, sorry, that is look after the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves. So you look after the small things and then the big things will look after themselves. It's the same principle. So the answer to my question is, if I'm not feeling motivated, which is quite often, then it's my responsibility to change my mood by creating a course of action, starting with task number one. And that might be making your bed. It might be going for a walk, going for a run. Doing a workout or literally just sitting down and making a list of things that you need to do that day. Question number two. And this is the question word for word. I know this sounds trivial and the answer is going to be really simple, but I'm late for work every day. How can I stop? So, in order to answer this question without giving the absolute obvious answer, just saying set your alarm 15 minutes earlier. I spoke to this person in order to get to give them a better answer and more effective advice. So what I wanted to do was find out his morning routine and discover that coffee was a big thing for him in the morning. And one of the things that he did from waking up. Now, if we want to break a bad habit and create a good one, we have to make it a lot more appealing and a lot more attractive. So I got him to take his Nespresso machine into work, which means after waking up, in order to get his precious coffee first thing in the morning, Getting to work earlier has become suddenly so much more appealing and attractive as he can enjoy a nice coffee when he's there and it's worked a treat. So those tiny adjustments for such a bigger reward, he gets to work early and he gets his coffee. Now, question number three, how do I make the most of renting a chair? I've almost spent equal amounts of time being on both, both sides here now of renting a chair and, and working for someone and owning my own business. Actually, I've actually spent an extra year working for someone else, so I'm still not equal yet, which means I've spent more time renting a chair than I have done owning a business. And for me, this is quite an easy question to answer as renting a chair is so much easier. Unless you've done both, you will never understand how difficult and stressful going from one role to another can be. I think the best way for me to answer this question is to tell you to treat that chair as your own business you have to look at it that way in order to be success, for it to be as successful as possible now that means you turn up to it early you keep it clean you keep it tidy you make it inviting you help promote it you keep it on you keep on top of its finances literally everything is about respect for that small business within a business and your landlord is obviously the shop owner or the the brand owner and you've got to make sure that they're happy not just by sweeping up your area but keeping the entire shop clean. Your chair is within that shop and it's only going to strive and do well if the entire shop looks nice. So promote yourself and take the position seriously. When when I worked for someone else, I was always the first one in the shop and the last one out. I cleaned the entire salon and I helped other people with shampoos and drinks. Again, it's all about having respect for the chair and having respect for everyone else around you. So start to believe like you're running a business and that you are a business owner already. You're renting a chair, so effectively you are a business and this is a smaller scale version of running a shop. If you want good practices for when the time does come for you to open a shop, then start acting more professional. Exactly the way that I answered the question earlier, you look after the smaller things and the bigger things will look after themselves. So if you wanna look after a, a chair, You do it with pride and you do it with passion, as you would a shop. It's all good practice for that end goal of when you open your own salon. Next question, number four. How do I start my own brand or shop? And there are about 100 factors here, but I'm going to name a few I can think of just so you can see how intricate the process is and how important it is that you need to focus on each one individually. So if we first think of location you're going to need to find somewhere that's either got a good footfall for potential new clients or if you already have existing clientele it needs to be accessible and not too far away from them but far enough away from your old place as not to take the piss shop interior decor and design needs to be it needs to appeal to your target market which obviously then is going to lead onto things like funds Have you saved enough money or are you gonna be borrowing it? Because I can guarantee you now that no matter how much you think it's gonna cost, it'll always be more. Then you need a name for your shop or for your brand. And you need to choose something that you have an emotional attachment to. A name that means something to you will give you a deeper connection to it. And it means that in turn, you will work a lot harder for it to succeed. You're going to need the name looking professional than with corresponding artwork for your marketing. So a good graphic designer will separate you from other barbershops by having that professional edge. There's no way that you can just go on Microsoft Paint and just create yourself a logo. It needs to be professional. You need to have a graphic designer or someone who can draw you something up that looks amazing. Are you gonna be opening up on your own? Are you gonna be opening up with someone else? And how are you gonna find staff that will help you push your brand And work hard themselves. So they need to have the right skill set and attitude. Then from marketing to your accounts and your books. I still struggle with all this because the shop is so busy. And I don't have time to look after the books the way that I would like to. And to post regular on four different Instagram accounts that I need. I need to listen to myself when I say things like this. And you know, practicing what you preach is so important. I know what's important and I know what needs to be done, but it's, and I understand completely that it's always not easy to do. It's easier said than it is done, especially when you're doing you know, maybe 70, 75 to 85 haircuts a week and then you have all the books and the admin and everything to do at the end of the day and you've got family to go home to. It's really, really difficult. So allocating time away from cutting hair is imperative that we do. So, time needs to be allocated for the business. You know, it's not just a physical cutting part. Back of house, there are tons of jobs that need doing it in order to stay balanced and moving forward. Question number five. Now, this is an older question I got a few months ago, but I wanted to add it because I feel like it's got quite a lot of significance to it. And word for word, this was the question Hello, mate. I was looking for some advice. I have a shop in Glasgow. And it's a minefield out there. There seems to be barbershops popping up all around me. What can I do to stay ahead of all the other shops out there? So my response to him was stop focusing on everything that was out there. And it was funny that he mentioned that phrase out there, you know, two or three times. And it was like the thing that stood out to me the most in his message. So I I explained to him the analogy and I love this analogy about racehorses. Every time they race, they have blinkers or visors at the the side of their eyes. And this is to stop them from looking at horses either side of them. If they get scared or get spooked or take focus off the race, then obviously they're going to fall, they're going to trip. So these blinkers are for them to only look forward. And that was my advice. Put on your blinkers Just continue to look forward and only focus on your own race. Leave everyone else to do their own thing and just concentrate on what happens inside the shop rather than out there. Question number six. I take pictures all the time and have all good intention of posting them, but when it comes to it, I just never do. What advice can you give on posting? Now, the honest truth behind my images and everything that I take is that I do not post every single one of them. I only post a small percentage of the pictures that I take. But I think the most important thing here is that at least we're actively taking pictures. This is always a great way to show progression. And I love taking pictures as it's documenting my work. Month to month and year by year, I can kind of like go back and have a little look through and see where I was at a year ago or two years ago or three years ago in order for us to kind of look forward and see where we want to be, we know exactly where we're at right now. Now, by looking at the past, it kind of shows that natural progression. So by working out what we used to be like and how our skill set was then and what we are like now, it helps us project to the future and kind of reduce the time in which it takes to progress. So we can half the amount of time of progression just by documenting all of our work through our pictures. But we, we do become experts at avoiding criticism and it doesn't feel nice to have your work publicly judged. So we avoid situations where that could happen in a world where there's so many keyboard warriors and negative Nellies out there, it it becomes quite scary to post for fear of rejection or not getting the external reward that we want to receive. This is the perfect example of motion and action. So motion is taking the pictures and preparing to post it. Then we don't follow through with the action out of insecurity, but who gives a flying fuck what anyone else thinks about your post? That picture is yours. And if people don't like it, then they can just do one. If you get a positive response from it, which you most likely will, it's only gonna cause more motivation than to post more. And if you get a negative reaction, then fuck them, you should just block them and then use that as fuel to do more. Or use it as fuel to get better. We never get bitter. We always get better. But get into a routine of posting set days, set times. And if you create creating enough content, prep them every Sunday. You know, just ready for the week then. Don't be focused on what other people's opinions are. If you only focus on what's internal and never on the externals. You watch yourself. Your confidence will just thrive. On to question number seven. Everyone in my shop is just focused on money and doing as many haircuts as possible. It's so competitive. I feel like my work suffers and I'm tired of doing four haircuts an hour. Shit me, I do rem- I do remember the days of doing four haircuts an hour and depending on what kind of haircuts they were, you could probably do even more. But again, I mean, this was just a time when haircuts were different. There's no way, no way on this earth I could do four haircuts in an hour now. Even doing like a one all over would probably take me a little bit longer because of titillating and fanning around and just making sure that the client gets value for their money. There's no way that we're charging them, you know, X amount of money for a number one all over and not making sure that it's absolutely perfect. Talking edges, shape ups, razor work, you know, tapering edges out, doing everything to make sure that you warrant being able to charge whatever you charge for that. If you were charging someone £3 for a one all over, then get them done in 10 minutes. But I can guarantee that people aren't charging that amount of money. So it's about making sure that we, that people get value for their money. Now, unfortunately, we are living in a period of mass production and mass profit. And speed and extrinsic motivation makes us lose sight of why we started cutting hair in the first place. And I'm, I'm sorry to say, but maybe you are in the wrong shop. And... I do see it all too often where there's competition between other barbers in in a shop, even though they're all working under one roof and they should all work as a team, money is just a killer. And when you, someone sees you working fast, they see it as you taking money out of their pockets. But what we do need to do is just have that mindset that clients know what's happening and they know when their haircut is being rushed and they know when someone's not putting in any effort And it goes vice versa as well. They know when you put in effort in and they know that when you take the the time and they're the people that are gonna come back to you because you take more pride and more pleasure in your work uh, by sacrificing that money. Now, that is something that I advise you to do. Just think of it as in order for me to progress for this next three months, I need to earn less money. So for the next two or three months, I need to earn less money because I need to spend more time on my client's as for the other people rushing in the shop, leave them to it. Their skill set will fail them, and as you grow, so will your client base, and theirs will just dissipate. Now question number eight: Can you suggest a good investment? Now, obviously, we've talked before about investment, and I mentioned a couple of good ones, and there was things like investing time, investing money, investing in education. So, I can recommend a few very good investments, and a lot of barbers are going to receive a £10,000 grant. And if you haven't already spent it, then you need to seriously think of how it's going to benefit you and your business. Don't spend it aimlessly. Don't don't wax it on trainers and a couple of hoodies and something for your car or something for your missus. Use it wisely. Think of ways in which you can invest it so it continues to make you money. We're in a very sour situation and as the saying goes, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Well, if the government gives you 10 grand, turn it into 20 grand. Think assets, anything that makes you money is an asset. A new member of staff paying rent is an asset, a junior or an apprentice that does all the jobs around the shop so then you've got more time behind the chair earning money, that is an asset. Property is an asset then what you want to do is go through your spending, your expenditure and get rid of your liabilities. So a liability is anything that takes money away from you and reduce as your liabilities as much as possible. The most powerful asset you can have is your head and what's inside it. Hair education, photography lessons, business lessons, accounting, anything that you can invest in, which will in turn make life more profitable for you is an asset. The question number nine, How would you go about building a clientele in a new city? Now, this is a task that requires a lot of patience and a lot of hard work. Building a clientele in a brand new location means building relationships and performing to the best of your ability. It's a case of tapping into the clientele of the shop and letting them see what you're capable of. Networking will also play a massive role in getting people in your chair. So it's very, very important to be very, very active on social media and to be active in the shop. And if you're confident to talk to everyone at some point when they're in the shop, they're gonna feed off your energy and want, want to give you the chance to cut their hair. And if you're the quieter type, then it's a case of just letting your work do the talking. Self-promotion on social media will be incredibly helpful. Using things like hashtags to help reach an audience that's in that area. So for example, if someone was new to Vancouver then they might use the hashtags Vancouver or Vancouver Barber or Barbers of Vancouver, that kind of thing. And this is where you really need to take time and listen to your clients. So your consultation needs to be absolutely perfect. And when you do start to get them on your chair, client retention now is absolutely imperative. This is where the patience and persistence will kind of pay off by making sure that every person's hair that you cut will always return to you. So by always providing them with an excellent and memorable service and that will mean that they'll always return. So the haircut needs to be incredible. The The conversation needs to be stimulating and, and you need to be interactive with them. And then I'm going to go on to my last question which re- wasn't really a question. It was more of a statement and I want to tell you what my reply was and it was quite blunt and very frank and I didn't want to be rude but I just wanted to be kind of give a dramatic answer because I wanted it to cause effect. And I wanted it to really, really sink in and motivate this person because it sounded very much like they were being victimised and they were they were shot down by the world. And to be fair, I do know this person well, so I could speak to them this way. And I wasn't being rude. But it worked because the reply I got simply was, thank you, that's all I needed. And the message read, I need to catch a lucky break. And my reply was, you don't, you need to go out and make it fucking happen. Luck is something that is created. If you sat waiting for luck to come your way, then you're going to be waiting for a long time. Don't wait for luck. So that concludes our Q&A on this episode. And there were too many um, questions to answer but I plan to return um, as each episode guarantees new questions and I do like to I do like to make sure that I get them all answered as there are some really really interesting ones there and the answers that um, I give I think are quite interesting as, as to how I would deal with the subject of the question and again I'm talking always from personal experiences how how, how I've overcome the topic in the question And if it's worked for me or if it's not worked for me. But I will always try and go through and answer as many as I can. So moving on to book recommendations. This suggestion is a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Who explains growing up with his poor dad who was his um, very well educated biological father. And his best friend's dad, the rich dad. And it was advice he got from them both and how he intelligently stopped working for money and got money to work for him. So when I talk about things like um, assets and liabilities and investments, this is an amazing book that's going to give you a kick up the bollocks uh, about your own personal finances. And like any book, it's very one-sided and it's all complete opinion and personal experiences from the author himself but there's still loads of really valuable lessons and really good advice to be taken from it. Uh, again, on any of the books that I've recommended, please, if you have a read of them, let me know what you think. So thank you once again for tuning into episode number seven and I will see you guys next week. So until then, take care, stay at home, have a happy time clapping this Thursday. Don't clap your bin lid like some bellend on my street waking the kids up, um, but... Yeah, If you do have any feedback, it's always welcome. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave me a review. And I would massively, massively appreciate any shares on social media. So yeah, until then, take care. Bye-bye.